Okay, good evening. Uh, it is, uh, I have no idea what the date is. I think it's the 24th of November. Um, we have Craig Gumbly from Extrovert uh, on the line to talk about VCP6 CMA Objective 4, uh, which is all about administering tenants and business groups. Um, so without any further ado, I'm going to let Craig carry on with that. If you do have any questions, um, then use the uh, GoToWebinar app to raise your hand, uh, or use uh, the vbrownbag hashtag in Twitter, and we get the questions asked. But uh, other than that, I'm going to pass it over to Craig. Okay, uh, right then, let's get started. Um, I just want to say, if anyone has any difficulty hearing me or whatever throughout the, the presentation, just, just, just let one of us know um, so we can avoid any any issues. So, okay then, um, VCP6 CMA Section 4, um, configure and administer tenants and business groups. Um, before we get going, um, I'm just going to go over the individual um, sections of the tenant. So, we've got Objective 4.1, um, we've got Describe uh, Specific uh, privilege, privilege Levels for um, different business group roles. Manage user roles, um, and this is referring to the user roles within a business group. Um, assign active directory users and groups to business role groups to business group roles. Um, create and manage machine prefixes, um, and identify and configure custom properties. So, for Objective 4.2, uh, create and manage tenants. We've got configure branding uh, for the vRealize Automation Console. Um, add and configure tenant-specific inbound and outbound email notifications. Um, override and revert system default email servers. Um, identify and add identity stores in VRA. And finally, create and assign user roles to an identity store identity store group. Okay, so create and manage business groups. So we know that currently three roles exist within a business group. We've got the business group manager, um, the support user, and the business user. Um, th it's the job of the tenant administrator to assign these roles. Um, and what I want to do is just, just go over each, each role in a, in a little bit more detail. So business group managers, uh, they can create and publish um, business group specific machine blueprints from um, IAAS. Uh, they can manage business group specific catalog items and entitlements. They can monitor um, resource usage um, in a business group. Uh, they can request and manage items on behalf of users in their groups. Um, they can change ownerships of virtual machines, provisioned virtual machines within their groups. Um, and support users, they can request and manage services just as a normal user can. Um, the differentiating thing here is that they can um, they can change the ownership of the virtual machine and they can request and manage items on behalf of other users within the business groups. The business user, they are just the standard user um, that, that comes along and consumes you know, the, the IT services that we provide to them um, via the service catalog. Um, once they've provisioned um, a resource from the service catalog, they're able to manage their own resource. 
um, obviously depending on what entitlements they've they've been given. Um, so that brings us on to to this slide, manage user roles. And um, what I'm actually going to do for this, though, I think, is is just jump straight into the lab, rather than kind of talking you through these things. I think it's better to just just get on and do it. So we'll just jump into the remote desktop session. And let's get going. Right, so for this, we'll need to log in as a tenant administrator. We'll head over to the infrastructure tab in the VRA console. Head over to groups, then select business groups. And we'll wait for the Windows side of things to, to crank up a bit. Windows sure is having a real good think about that, isn't it? Yeah, it certainly is. Is this your uh, home lab? It's no, it's sadly not my home lab. I, I don't have that in. A, it's yeah, it's not in the functional state at the moment. It's something I need to um, I need to work on. Um, right. So now we have this. We we shouldn't have to come back here again. So it's fine. Um, we've got business group A already configured. So if we jump in to there and we'll have a look at the different roles and we'll look at how we can add and remove users from each role. I'm hoping things are going to start to speed up a tiny little bit more than this as well. Excellent. So as I mentioned in the previous slides, We've got our three roles. We've got the business group manager role, as you can see, the support user role, and the user role. Um, at the moment, um, I've got Active Directory groups configured uh, in there. Um, each one of these contains the relevant users that, that you need to give permission. Um, what I want to show you is that um, it's it's really simple, actually, to, to, add, to add users in, into these roles you just have to type in the name of the user. So in this case, I'm going to use the business user. And you just search. And then, providing you've typed in your user correctly, you, you'll get a result. And it, you know, obviously, the more specific you are with this search term, the, the less results you're going to get. In my case, I've only got one user called business user um, and they have um, just popped up in the search results. So to add, you just click on the name and it adds it to the list, either under what you've already got or if, you, if you've not got anything in there. Um, it will add it into the box. Um, removing users from these groups as well is, is as simple as highlighting 
the user or group that you have in there and, and literally just pressing delete button on your keyboard. Um, that clears that user from, from the box. Um, then you just click OK to save it. Um, it's worth making a note while we're in here actually that you can see that there's three required fields for the business group. You only have to enter the, the name, you have to give it a default machine prefix um, and you have to specify the, the manager email address. Nothing else is actually required to, to create the business group. Um, and I want to highlight again that th this is the job of the tenant administrator. So here we logged in as um, we logged in as tenant admin. Um, right, let's get back to the presentation. Actually, in fact, our next slide is actually assign active, active Directory users and groups to the business um, to the business group roles. While we're in here, we might as well go over that. This is exactly the same again. Um, these two, the, the, you know, the manage user roles um, objective and, and the assign active directory users and groups objective, to me, they're, they're quite similar. Um, we, we're consuming a, a, an active directory identity store um, for this tenant. Um, and all that we need to do to add users all groups that are in that identity stories again search um, for them using either you know the, the group name or the username. Um, again, if you if you know if you want to trail down the amount of results you get back, be more specific with the with the search terms. You can even go as far as you know as putting the the, the whole UPN in. Um, which if, if you know your user, then it makes sense. So support user is an Active Directory user. Um, we've just assigned that user now to the support role by, by literally searching. VRA goes and does its stuff searching the identity store. Um, and what we're going to do now is just press OK, save the changes. And there you go. Right, let's head back to the slides and click on a little bit. So machine pre machine prefixes are next, um, and that's create and manage machine prefixes. So we know that the machine prefixes are used um, to generate names um, of provisioned machines in IAAS. Um, the fabric administra administrator actually creates these, and, and as a consequence, they're shared across all tenants. Um, every business group must have a default machine prefix um, assigned, as you've just seen, it was a required property. Um, and also every blueprint must have um, a machine prefix assigned. Um, this is an interesting one because you can either choose to use the business group default machine prefix or you can um, actually set specific um, machine prefixes for your blueprints. Um, so moving on from that, the tenant administrator um, we know uh, assigns the machine prefixes to a business group. Um, the tenant admin can also change the machine prefix assigned to a business group. Um, and it's also possible for business group managers to, uh, to, to choose uh, different machine prefixes when they are creating their business group specific um, blueprint. Uh, 
so when you're creating machine prefixes, there are some uh, constraints, if we can say, you must you, you know you must follow. Um, so they must contain only ASCII letters, so that's A to Z. It's case insensitive. Um, the digits uh, zero to nine are supported, um, and obviously that includes hyphens. Um, you can't begin with a hyphen, um, and you can have no other symbols, punctuation, or blank spaces in that. Um, the machine prefixes themselves. This is including the. Um, this is including the the. That you, you know the whole of the name, so including the next number and and the amount of digits you use, um, that's limited to 15 characters, um, which is if you have one that's over 15 characters, it'll actually be truncated when you deploy the machine, um, and then what will happen is VRA will go and do a data collection, um, and then it will update the name, the truncated name in in the VRA console and database as a consequence. Um, and I think the final point on this slide is is probably it's a bit obvious, but there's no support for multiple VMs with the same name in the same instance. So, you know, I think the machine prefix um, handler will will go off, and if if it detects something with the same name, it will try and use the next one before it actually starts to fail. Um, and again, if you're if you if you're provisioning on the same vCenter platform. It goes without saying you can't start using the same VM names. Um, right, okay, it's lab time again. I think this 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 topic is is quite lab heavy, to be fair, but that's a good thing in my opinion. Um, okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to create a machine prefix just to demonstrate what we've just talked about. Um, for this, we'll be logging in as the Fabric Administrator. And what we'll do is we'll head over to the infrastructure tab. We'll go to blueprints and then machine prefixes. So you can see here that in in tenant A, um, they already have a machine prefix for their development servers. Um, number of digits is three, and the next number is one. Um, I'll just give you a quick. So the the machine prefix is actually the identifier um, of the provision resource. So in our case, it's dev hyphen server um, hyphen um, number of digits. That basically is the number of digits that you include after the after the machine prefix. So the, the padding um, or the number of zeros that you, you're going to allow. And the next number it can start from zero. Um, I've started from one here, but basically that number will increment by one every time you deploy uh, a new resource. Um, so yeah, to add a new machine prefix, again we're logged in as the fabric administrator. Um, we'll head over to a new machine prefix, and then you're presented with your three required fields. So in this example, let's add a machine pre prefix for our production servers. So prod svr hyphen we'll do three next digits and we'll start the next number at one. To save that, just click on the green tick and then 
that's saved. Um, deleting machine prefixes if you if you need to is is simple as well. Um, you just click on the delete button, which is the the, the recycle bin. Um, I think it might be worth mentioning as well that you, you, I don't think you can actually delete a machine prefix that's assigned anywhere, which is a good safety feature to to sort of adhere to. Right, back to the slides. Okay, so identify and configure custom properties. Um, we essentially use custom properties. Um, this is this is lifted straight from the document um, to add new attributes or override um, default attributes. So, for example, um, if we think about if we want to start specifying particular type of guest OS. Um, Customizing the virtual machine sort of system specifications in any way, um, you know, number of disks. Um, another one is it, when you supply when you're specifying um, different system disks for the VM, you can choose to add a label to that, which gets passed down to the the guest agent and, and configured in guest. Um, probably the most commonly one common one that I've seen is um, the Active Directory custom properties that, that enable AD, ob AD object um, cleanup, you know, in, in event of failure of the workflow or when you when you unprovision the machine. Um, it's the job of the tenant administrator um, to configure um, custom properties when they when they're creating or editing business groups. Um, tenant administrators or business group managers can also configure custom properties when they create or edit blueprints. Um, I mean, again, this is probably the most common place to do it, and it's where you can begin adding build profiles, um, and you know, you, you're consuming then sets of of similar um, custom properties. You know, that, that all adhere to a certain task. Um, Fabric administrators, they can configure custom properties when they create or edit reservations. Um, it's important to note that, that custom properties are retrieved or you know collected when the machine is provisioned. Um, a lot of them will be used in, in build time, so you've got your network information, um, you have things like the, the host name, um, and as well, if, you, if you're configuring your um, NSX or VCNS security groups, you can specify those um, Based on you know custom logic in your workflows um, as custom properties, and then push them back up to VRA um, before um, you know you hit the machine provision phase. Um, the structure there, key-value pairs in a way. Um, you'll, you'll most often see um, the, the custom dot property dot name sort of layout. So if we're looking at virtual machine dot network dot name or um, virtual machine admin, um, you know, whatever is comes after that. Um, you can mark custom properties as required. Um, so this will mean that the the, the user um, will be prompted to enter a value um, when they when they come to provision their machine. That's couples with actually. the encrypted option. Um, when you specify 
a custom property is encrypted, um, you'll be en you'll be asked to, to enter the information twice, and it will be masked from view. Um, the documentation says that it's encrypted in the database as well. I, I can't say that I, I know that for a, a, a fact. Um, it'd be interesting. I'd be interested if anyone listening can actually confirm that one because not all custom properties, to my knowledge, are actually stored in the database. So it's an it's an interesting point. But I thought I'd pop it on there anyway, as the documentation does state that, um, and. You know, it's it's a likelihood that you may get asked a question on it in the actual exam. Um, as we mentioned earlier, similar custom properties can be grouped together um, in in build profiles, um, which you then can configure um, or select when you configure in a blueprint. Even um, it's up to the fabric administrator uh, to define the build the build profiles. Um, the fabric admin can also create property sets as well. I won't go into this too much because this actually is out of the scope of, of um, subjective section. Yeah, subjective six, but just worth noting that the fabric administrator can can create um, property sets. Um, uh, basically, property sets can be added to build profiles there. It's another way of grouping together common, um, common custom properties and, and their uh, values, you know. Um, Build profiles, they're available to um, all, blueprint, all, all blueprints and all business groups. Um, and finally, a property specified in a blueprint overrides the same property specified in a um, selected build profile. So if we think on the lines of the Active Directory cleanup um, build profile, if we have default values configured in our build profile, let's say, for example, a username, but we want to override that username with another one that, that's going to be specific for our, um, our deployment, uh, you can add that custom property into your blueprint as a, as a custom property, and it will override the, the property set in the build profile. Um, and at the bottom, it's just a sort of an image of, of what the custom properties actually look like when you when you specify them in, in VRA. Okay, so objective 4.2. Um, configure, oh, so it's create and, and manage tenants and the, the, the first slide is going to be about configuring branding for, for the VRA console. Um, we know that it's the job of the system administrator to configure the default branding which spans um, across all tenants. But the tenant administrator can actually um, override this with their own branding. Um, and they can configure things like site logo, the background um, color, and the text color, and also the header and footer information. So that's things like the, you know your copyright and your help link. Um, and I'll just quickly jump back into the lab. And just give you guys a quick example of this. So we'll log in as a tenant administrator. We'll head over to administration um, and branding. And you can see here that at the moment for this tenant, which is tenant A, um, 
use default is selected. So basically that means it's going to consume the branding that the system administrator has defined. Um, if we deselect that, you'll notice that straight away the logo here that the system admins defined um, disappears. And what we can also do is begin to define our new branding. So if we put, give it a title, and we can also set a new background color to red. You can see that you actually have a live preview here as well, which is quite useful um, if you're trying to, you know, obtain a certain look without wiping out the the current branding for for all of the users. You can sort of, you know, begin to build your your branding um, before you actually press update. So, just to recap, we've unchecked use default. We've added a new co background color, which is red. Um, these are just the the standard HMR hex colors that you can find anywhere. Um, I, I've just grabbed one for red. I've left the text color as white. Um, I've given it a product name, which is what you can see here, tenant A. And we'll click update. And you should notice that when the page reloads, the branding has been applied. Cool. So we're going to be jumping pretty much straight back into a lab, but um, the next topic is um, add and configure tenant-specific inbound and outbound email notifications. So the system, the system administrator um, actually, again, configures global um, inbound and outbound email servers. Um, it's worth noting um, that only one of each can be configured um, and that applies per tenant as well. So the tenant administrator can then go in and begin to configure tenant specific inbound um, and outbound emails by choosing to override the global settings. Um, obviously the next point down is, is a bit of a given um, but I thought I'd put it anyway. You know, Email servers, they're, they're required to send and receive notifications. Um, I've seen sometimes people ask, you know, why am I not receiving notifications from from VRA? Well, it's because you haven't you haven't configured your your SMTP server in there as an outbound server. Um, just mentioned that that each tenant can only have one inbound and one outbound email server. Um, once that's configured, we can then start looking at the notification scenarios. Um, this is again a per tenant thing, and it's it's up to the tenant administrator to to jump in and do it. Um, uh, they'll just go into administration notifications and scenarios, and then what you can do is you can um, select the different scenarios you want to be notified for um, and activate them. Um, they are all actually activated by default, so I think it's more of a case by going in and deciding which ones you don't want to be noted notified about. Um, users must also subscribe to these notifications. In VCAC 6, it wasn't a default option. Um, users weren't automatically subscribed to the notifications and you had to go in per user, which I'll show you in a second. 
and 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 subscribe. But now I, I can't remember what version it's from. But you, um, as a user, are automatically subscribed to any notification scenario that your your tenant administrator um, sort of defines. Um, okay, so let's just jump back into the lab again. Okay, so we're already in this the tenant administrator, so I'm not going to um, I'm not going to log back out. But what we'll do is from the administration tab, we'll head over to notifications, and we'll have a look at the email servers first. So you can see here that we've got um, default email server specified. This has already been specified by the the system administrator, and you'll notice that we can't do anything with it. Um, and what you'll also notice is the inbound server has been um, configured specifically for this tenant. So if we jump in and have a look, and you can see that there's tenant-specific um, inbound email server options available here. Um, it's going back out. So one of the points that I mentioned before is the, the, the ability to override global um, and and then obviously you, you need to be able to revert to the global ones. So if we look at the default outbound email server, to override the global, it's, it's really simple. You just highlight which whichever um, email server you want to override and then select override global from, from the menu above. And then that straight away will, will give you um, you know the, the the form that you see when you you specify the email server as the system uh, the system administrator. So if we if we just quickly configure this um, as a as an example, um, so we want tenant A So we've got the the name, obviously, which is the 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 description, or you know, of the of the outbound server. So in this case, in this case, it's tenant A outbound email, because that's you know that's the function of it. We give the server name, which is going to be your SMTP server address in this case. Um, you can either choose to use SSL or TLS um, or or no encryption. So you've got port 25 for no encryption. Um, TLS is port um, 587 and SSL um, is, is is 465. Um, it's worth noting that th there is a difference between SSL and, and, and TLS, but again, it's it's kind of outside of the scope of this. But it, it's worth it's worth looking into if if you don't know. Um, you'll need to specify a sender address as well. Um, usually, you're not going to want replies. Um, I always put no reply. And you can also finally, if you've got an encryption method specified, you can choose to accept self-signed certificates to avoid any errors. Um, you'll see that if you select none, this actually becomes greyed out as well. So once you're happy with your um, 
the configuration of your new tenant-specific email server, you can choose to test the connection. Um, I can't in this case because tenant A webmail uh, doesn't exist in my environment. But what I'm going to do is just select add to give you an idea of what happens. Um, so you can see now that, that we've just added tenant A outbound system, outbound email. Um, the difference is that you can see instead of seeing the default one, we, we the, the tenant administrator, uh, the, the system administrator, sorry, um, specified. You can now see our tenant A email, uh, tenant A outbound email server, which is bold, and we can click into that and you know begin to to reconfigure or view the settings. So if we wanted to revert to the global settings for whatever reason, um, again it's as simple as highlighting the this the server that you want, um, and then you hit revert to global and you're prompted, um, just hit yes, and you'll see that that will switch straight back to the default one that we, that we specified as the, the system administrator. And we'll do the same for the outbound email as well. Again, so we've hit revert to global, and then we will click yes. Okay, uh, and that wraps it up for email servers. Um, Let's have a look at the scenarios while we're in here. So you can see, as I mentioned earlier on, that by default, everything is active. You know, it might be company policy to come in here and, and, and trim down um, things that you don't want to see. You might just want things going, you know, your service catalogue notifications just going to the managers. So therefore, you know, you, you only want the manager scenarios. Um, active. Sort of suspending these is as simple as highlighting what you don't want and then clicking suspend and you'll notice the status here just on the right hand side changes to suspended and again if we do if we don't want any of the release management stuff you can actually you know you click and hold shift click to where you want and then you can choose to suspend them all. Um, I mentioned also about users, it actually says here, to receive notifications, users must subscribe to notifications in their user preferences. The interesting thing is, as I say, in the later versions of VRA, it's actually a default setting now. Um, I've already been in here and um, and messed with this, but you'll find that if you go into, into your user, you'll see that the notification is actually set here and it will be clicked as enabled. Um, what I'll probably do is when we log in as, a, as another user later on, I'll, I'll just pop into the preferences and, and show you that. Um, let's jump back to the presentation. Okay, so identify and configure, uh, identify and add identity stores in vRealize Automation. So we've already sort of gathered that identity stores, they're there to authenticate users. Um, when you create a tenant, um, you know each tenant you create must have at least one identity store, um, but more can be added if you need to. You know if you need to add more um, authentication sources at a later date if you want. Um, so currently, VRA supports um, three identity identity store types. Um, you've got the native Active Directory. Um, now, I've put it in bold here, this is only available for the default tenant. Um, 
it will only work for the default tenant. You'll notice that when you go to configure um, identity stores in um, you know your your other tenants that you create, you will not see that. You'll just see the Active Directory in the Open LDAP um, type in in the drop-down box. Um, Active Directory. This is going to just be your you know your standard LDAP or LDAPS, depending on what you're using uh, connection to AD. Um, Deleting an identity store, it will remove the roles assigned to users um, from the store. It will also remove the roles assigned to users from the custom groups um, and any information about the services available to this user, but it will not affect um, entitlements and business groups. Um, you can see on the right, um, this is an example of me adding um, a secondary um, identity store. Um, I, unfortunately, I can't do this as a demo because I don't have, um, a, a, you know, another AD domain to authenticate. So it will just fail um, if I try and add the same one. Um, and in fact, actually, as a note, it, if you try and add another identity store um, with the same domain, it will know and it will fail and not let you. Um, so it, as a quick overview, um, as a tenant administrator, we'll go into the administration tab um, we'll hit identity stores then add um, you'll give the identity store a name select a type and as I say we're, we're operating in um, a subtenant here so we will only see the active directory and the open LDAP um, uh, identity store type available to us there um, we'll configure the URL um, so it's going to be LDAP or LDAPS um, so LDAPS is port 389 by default. Uh, um, even that's wrong, sorry. LDAP is port 389 by default, and LDAPS is port 636 by default. Um, you want to configure your domain. Domain alias is optional. Um, this is, I guess, just a friendly name for your, you know, for your domain if you if you don't wish to show it to users. Um, your login DN. So this is the distinguished the distinguished name of the Active Directory account that you're going to use to bind to, to your old app service with. Um, as a point, um, there's nothing special about this account. It's literally just a user account that can authenticate to your domain and therefore it can, it can read the AD tree. Um, you'll need a password for that user. Um, you'll need to enter the group search base DN. Um, in the example here, you can just see I've chosen to use the root of the domain, which it, it will just look, when you search for a user, it won't tra trail it down to any specific OU. It'll just search from the root of the domain down, so it will pick up anything. Um, uh, and the user search base op uh, DN is, is optional. So as a recap, we've only got two optional um, configuration parameters here, and that's domain alias and the user base DN. Everything else is um, is mandatory. Um, so I thought I'd include this as well because I think it's it's probably worth it and it's it seems like a good piece of knowledge to have anyway. Um, so some distinguished name examples. You can see the distinguished name is is basically describes where this account lives in the directory exactly. Um, you can, hear, you can see here I'm using a specific service account to bind to the directory and, and I recommend that 
you know anyone follow this method if they don't if they're not already it's just better for tracing if you have to if you have if you have to do any auditing on your domain controllers at least you know that this service account is to do with you know your VRA identity store um, so I mentioned before um, I was using just the domain root for my search based DN um, underneath the second bullet point you can see that this is an example of um, trailing it down to a, sp a specific set of OUs so what we've actually got here is um, our root domain but then we've got an OU called tenants which then contains tenant A and what I'm going to actually do in fact is I'll, I'll just go into AD in a second and show you this tenant A has multiple OUs underneath but we only want to allow the search to search in the groups so say if we, this was our group search based again we're only allowing VRA to do searches within tenant A's group so you um, these DN or distinguished name values can be found um, by using the, uh, the attribute editor um, in Active Directory using computers and then once you're, you're in there you, you want to be looking for the distinguished name attribute um, I'm going to jump back into the lab really quickly and just show you this um, so as an informational nugget um, probably you'll need to just by default when you go into Active Directory using computers you won't be able to see the attribute editor you'll need to come up to view and you'll need to enable the advanced features and you'll notice that the, the actual tree looks different when you when you do that so if we go back and and uh, enable that you'll see that there are a few more containers that, that appear so as per the example that I've I just shown you'll see that we've got our root domain then we've got the tenants folder within the tenants folder you've got tenant A's folder um, and then so we've got the OU for tenant A and then we want the, the DN the distinguished name for the the groups OU so you know we, we're telling our identity store don't search anywhere other than tenant A's groups OU so we'll right click on that OU we'll go to properties and then we'll hit the attribute editor tab and then you'll see here the distinguished name and this is the exact value that you want to be pasting into your identity store um, most will probably know this exists already but I thought I'd include it you know just on the off chance that there's one person that, that, that you know this helps out um, jump back to the presentation cool so create and assign users um, create and assign user roles even to an identity store group um, so I'm going to jump back into the lab actually for this because it's it's going to be easy to show you guys um, it's the job of the tenant administrator and we're going to be in the administration tab again and we're going to be using some of the groups that we've specified in our identity store so let me log back in so we're still the tenant administrator which is good so we're on the administrator administration tab again in, in the VRA web console and we'll head over to users and groups and we'll head over to identity store users and groups um, and what you'll see is is nothing at the moment until we search so what I'm going to do um, I'm going to search for the, the business users group which is an active directory group in our identity store for this tenant 
so we'll click on the business group. So what you have is you have the add roles to this group um, sort of list of roles. And what I'm going to do for this example is is select um, business users. I'm going to assign them to the service architect role. Um, this little window down here, the authority is granted by selected roles um, list. It is, it's actually quite useful if you have to if you have to justify to anybody what roles that you know this group will have as a result of anything you've selected above. It lists everything here. So you can see if we if we were to select tenant administrator, we've got a whole load of other stuff that pops up. But for this example, I'm just going to concentrate on service architect. So as an addition to, to well, from nothing to service architect, our business users group get access to the tenant administration GUI. They can create and publish um, advanced services using ASD. It can create, update, and publish services, catalog items and actions um, shared across a tenant, and they can also um, import and export ASD content. So you can go through um, the business users group as well from in here to, to check out different um, bits of information um, that you know that are custom. So in here we're able to see that the business users groups. Um, they're a, they're a basic user of business group A. Um, currently, they have nothing entitled. Um, if we head back to the details tab. Um, so just to recap, we've assigned the service architect role to the business user group. And what we're going to do is update, um, log out, and log in as business group, uh, business user who is a member of the business users group. And what we should see is now this business user, who was a standard user before, now has access to the advanced services um, tab. And we can begin to start building our advanced service blueprints, um, defining custom resources and, and adding any extra resource actions to those that we want. Okay. Ah, yeah. As a final point on that, um, users they 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 must log in and log out and log back in um, once. You, so if you know you assign the service architect role to business the, the business group the business user group, um, that won't be effective immediately. In order to see the advanced services tab, um, they'll need to log out of the VRA console and log back in before yeah, before the new permissions are effective. Cool, and um, we've just done that demo. Cool, uh, I think that actually, that, that wraps us up. Um, I'll make this available um, after the, after the broadcast is finished but I mean this is just a list of resources that I used for this topic when I was studying for the exam um, a lot of the information is is in the VMware documents um, there was a really cool um, a video that was done by V Brownbag um, on custom properties and then you've got two fairly good um, 
videos that have been put out there by actual VMware themselves um, about business group um, and user management and also tenant management, which which actually gives a lot of the information too. So you know, if going from the resources here, you, you know, you can't you can't really go wrong with this topic. Um, short and sweet it was, which is good. Cool. Um, so thank you very much for um, listening to me. Um, it's been a it's it's been a pleasure presenting. Thank you very much, Craig. Um, has anyone got any questions for Craig at all about any of the content, anything vaguely related to it? Um, feel free to raise your hands, ask a question through the tool or via Twitter. I'll give you just a couple of seconds to mm -hmm. uh, get those in. Um, as Craig mentioned, um, yeah, we've, we'll put the, uh, the slide deck up and the video will also uh, go up on the brown bag site. Uh, in the next day or so, and uh, be available uh, to watch as a podcast shortly thereafter. Um, not seeing any questions at the moment. So I think, uh, yeah, I got, can't think of any questions off the top of my head. Um, yeah, we seem to cover it all. Um, it's quite. I mean, it's a, it's a nice um, it's a nice section, isn't it? To to really go over. There's it, it, everything is to the point with it, which you know, which is why I liked about it. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> you know. some of the other sections are a little bit. Um, I wouldn't say vague, but there's a there's, there's interesting. A lot, there's a lot to cover, <laughs> and I think there's there's quite a wide wide range of um, uh, information in some of the other topics. So it'd be uh, be interesting when they come up. Yeah, but, definitely, definitely. Okay, as we've got no questions, I'm going to stop the recording there. Uh, thank you very much indeed. Hopefully we'll have Objective 5 next week. Um, cool. And um, thank you very much, Craig. All right, thanks, guys. <laughs>